0: This is episode 89 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Lori Burkhead Morgan. Dr. Burkhead Morgan has been practicing speech language pathology since 1994 in a variety of healthcare settings. She earned a Ph.D. in Rehabilitation Sciences from the University of Florida in 2005 while continuing clinical practice. She has developed an expertise in exercise-based dysphagia rehabilitation, evaluation, and treatment of swallowing and communication disorders in medically complex patients, particularly those with head and neck cancer and respiratory compromise. She has published several peer reviewed articles regarding evaluation and treatment of dysphagia and presented on the topic to both domestic and international audiences. Dr. Burkhead Morgan holds a part time faculty position in the Department of Neurology in the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a fabulous May. I know May is always so wonderful with graduations and Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there and happy graduation. I know there's so many grad students that listen to this podcast. That makes me so excited. Um, I had an awesome weekend I spent in upstate New York on Seneca Lake with... A bunch of my um, colleagues that are in my fees biz program. So we did an awesome ASHA CEU conference and had Dr. Brodsky come speak. We had some other excellent speakers come and just learned a lot about fees and what we need to know about what's coming up with PDPM and the new payment system and just how we're going to get these resources and instrumental assessments out there to all of our patients that need it the most. So it was an incredible weekend. There's nothing like connecting with our peers you know, in person and getting to know everyone outside of work and outside of social media world. So it was wonderful. So everybody that attended, I, my heart is bursting. It was such an awesome time. And I'm so glad we're having Dr. Lori Burkhead Morgan on the podcast today because I had the opportunity to meet her um, a few months back. She came and spoke at my inner circle retreat. So again, just another wonderful opportunity to meet everybody in person And speaking of the inner circle, I am opening it back up again for application. So um, if you're interested in joining a group of, oh, I'm going to say maybe 30, I really just go based on, you know, who really seems to gel well with the group and who just is really motivated to get some awesome things done in this field. Um, If you're interested in applying, you can go to bit.ly forward slash TR inner circle. So TR like Teresa Richard inner circle and apply and I will get back to you shortly um, with a response but yeah I mean if you're interested in in joining a group of highly motivated individuals that just want to do big things in their facilities and what in this field for their patients then please consider joining us I'd love to have you we're actually going to have two in-person retreats with this next round so um, just love getting to meet all of you guys and I would love to have you I would love to thank our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by the Prometheus Group. They offer affordable EMG solutions for dysphagia rehabilitation, featuring the Pathway MR15 and MR25 single and dual channel portable EMG systems with optional software, the Pathway EMYO200S wireless EMG, an extended HDMI monitor with gaming displays. These fun and engaging options are suitable for patients of all ages. For more information, contact the Prometheus Group, 1-800-442-2325, or go to www.theprogrp.com. All right, and one more thing, and in honor of, what is this, May, which is Better Speech and Hearing and Swallowing Month we can add in, uh, MedBridge has agreed to do their awesome promo deal for listeners of Swallow Your Pride. So if you go to MedBridgeEducation.com and click on their premium plan, and enter promo code SYP at checkout, you can get a year's worth of their premium plan for only 95 bucks. So why is this such a killer deal? Because it's usually $425. And I think they have some incredible, awesome courses. So really high quality courses for Asha CEUs. I, I believe they have over 500 of them now. They're just growing, expanding rapidly of all topics and um, so some, I just checked this morning, some of the more recent topics they're including now is PDPM, which I know we're all freaking out about <laughs> come this fall with how that's going to impact our profession. Also, if you're a home health SLP, they have tons of series on OASIS too, which I know can be really tricky because there's nothing you learn about until you're thrown into home health. And let's see, they have a lot of new aphasia courses on spaced retrieval, the life participation approach, lots of dementia material. Their voice courses are awesome. I know they're incredibly reputable and high quality. Counseling, which we don't get much of in grad school. Head and neck cancer, motor speech. I know Dr. Michelle Troche, I'm super impressed with her motor speech uh, series that she has on here. And also about cough dysfunction, which I think is so important that a lot of us don't learn too much about. Also courses on trachs and motivational interviewing. So just some really cool courses on there. So there at MedbridgeEducation.com. You can go to forward slash SYP, or you can just go to the premium plan and at, at promo code at the promo code enter SYP, and you'll get that premium plan for only 95 bucks. Now, what's the difference between the premium plan and the education plan, which is normally 95 bucks? Is with the premium plan you also get access to their home exercise builder, which is awesome. You can go in, you can click exercises for your patients to do. Your patients can get a login to log in from home and see descriptions of all the exercises that you give them. Uh, they have some really good patient handouts. They also have a mobile app. So you get all these extra features in addition to over 500 courses that are all registered for ASHA CEUs. So um, if you're interested, go to medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP or enter syp for the prim- promo code for the premium plan. And you can access this premium plan for one full year for 95 bucks. So when you do use promo code SYP, just know that I do get a small commission that goes right back into keeping this wonderful podcast going. So this special will be going through till the end of the month. So take
1: advantage of it if you can. Hello, Lori. Hi, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Who are you?
1: Well, I am a speech language pathologist who is in Georgia. I'm part time at Augusta University at Medical College of Georgia. And I mostly speak and teach now. And have most of my time with my crazy kids. But. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yes, it's a balance we're all trying to trying to yes. deal with. Yeah. So all right. Well what are we what are we gonna talk about today, Lori?
1: Well, I think we were gonna talk about my favorite therapy tool for dysphagia, which is surface electromyography. Awesome. I often have said in my talks, if I were just stranded on a desert island, that's the one therapy tool that I would want to have with me. That's hysterical. Yeah, I love it. And you know, it's it's so, it's so it, not funny,
0: but it's interesting to hear you say that and then to hear some clinicians that have never even heard of it, or they think it's just this crazy tool that nobody has access to. And really, there are great companies out there that do have access to this. And we've just got to figure out, you know, why we need
1: it. So... Right. Right. Exactly. And I, I think what's so funny about it is that in a day and age where we talk a lot about evidence-based practices, something to know about SCMG biofeedback, it was one of the very first adjunctive tools to therapy mentioned in the literature by Haynes in 1976. So it's, it's something that's been out there for a while, which kind of like just boggles my mind that we haven't really used it more. Yeah,
0: I I just cringed when you said 1979 because what is that like 40 years
1: ago? Yeah, yes, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. It is, it is a little nuts, yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, it was 1976. Okay, which is even worse, yes. right? Yeah, yeah,
0: even longer. <laughs>
1: yeah. So okay. Well, and and honestly, that's say, and this ties in with who I am. Is that was one of the things that I think spawned me on to get a PhD. I was looking around at all of the other therapists with whom I worked in inpatient rehab, looking at the PTs and the OTs, and I remember seeing them have all these tools and things that they could use, one of which was biofeedback. And I yet also was being challenged to exercise these patients or quote unquote exercise with these patients, not ever really getting the training Formally, of what is exercise? What how do the muscles behave? What is this whole process of conditioning and deconditioning? There are all types of exercise. What do I do? And I saw all my PTOT colleagues knowing a whole lot more about that. So that curiosity and frustration as a as a clinician was something that pushed me to go back and get my PhD and try to answer some of these questions. So my PhD is in rehabilitation science, and I focused on exercise science and its application to dysphagia rehabilitation specifically.
0: Excellent. And I know that paper you wrote in 2006 is one of, a lot of people have said that's been a game-changing paper for them. So
1: thank you for contributing that. Yes. Oh, well, I appreciate hearing that. I I do hear that, and I, I love hearing that because it was really written by myself for myself as a clinician and then when I realized that you know this is information all of us really really need in the trenches yeah then I'm I'm thrilled that 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 article has lived beyond beyond what I thought it, it would yeah I think it's really it's
0: like resurfaced this year
1: a lot so for some yeah. reason yeah <laughs> well I'm gonna put you on the spot
0: here if, if people aren't familiar with that can you give us kind of a quick rundown of that paper
1: of that paper, yeah. So that was a paper that came uh, directly out of my dissertation, looking at how you know, again, walking into the doctoral arena, asking myself, What is exercise? What is it about these muscles that we work with? Do things that we know about other limb musculature will it or will it not apply to these unique muscles that we have for speech and swallowing so it's a it's a big overview or a review of literature of what are these how do they work it's a it's a brief introduction to that because like i said i spent a chunk of a number of years really studying that but it's it's a good sort of toe dip into the water of of what is the science behind muscle physiology. And then I go on to talk about what do we have in our field that may or may not apply and how can we use these ideas that they've used for decades with athletic training or physical therapy, occupational therapy, to at least start shaping our treatment regimens into something that kind of makes sense with the science about rehabilitation of movement. So that's sort of in a nutshell, what, awesome. what that looks at. And then I did do an updated paper that was published in Perspectives, their request. I think I did that in 2017. I'll have to look it up. I <laughs> can't remember if that was 2017 or 2018 when, when that finally got in there, but it is an update on those very same concepts. So I would say that would be a good one to read, uh, not instead of, but in addition to, because it sort of takes it to that, where are we now?
0: Yeah. Is there anything significant, I think, compared to then as opposed to now?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, the best developments is that our field has really started talking about skill training. Yeah. There's been some excellent work to come out of the lab of Katrina Steele, Maggie Lee Huckabee, who is also a big proponent of SCMG biofeedback, And they're talking about... It's not just that we need to strengthen these muscles, but that we need to use them more precisely and with better timing. And so they're doing a lot of really great work looking at both tongue and swelling gestures that can be trained with skill and not just gross force. So, you know, I think when I first became a clinician... There was just a lot of talk about, hey, we got to strengthen these muscles. We got to strengthen these muscles. But as we've gone on and learned more, swallowing is this synergistic thing that is an interaction of pressure buildup and and also a release of pressure in a sequential manner with both strength and timing and breathing involved. So it's a lot more than just uh, pumping up our muscles uh, to swallow stronger. We need to swallow better. And just like all of us might exercise in different ways, some of us might lift weights, which would be a strengthening exercise, and others of us might do yoga or running. Those are all different types of exercise, but they all fall under this umbrella of exercise. And we need to start thinking a bit more diverse in that way about swallowing as well. So thankfully, we've we've had some wonderful advancements in this work We also have shied away from exercise with certain populations. And I'm very pleased to see Emily Plowman doing some work with ALS patients. So obviously, this is a patient population that we're not going to rehabilitate. However, Emily and her brilliance has seen in physical therapy literature that's being published with that population, that treadmill training and other forms of exercise help preserve function in these folks, which is, my gosh, that's so critical. Yeah, And so she thought and asked that question, could we preserve swallowing functions? So she looked at the use of the tool expiratory muscle strength training to see if that's something that, that could be done in that population who in the past we would say, oh, hands off, degenerative disease, we're only going to make them worse. Right. Well, she's figured out that there's a way to utilize exercise to a lesser intensity than we would perhaps in a, a stroke population and to help facilitate prolonged function. And again, it's using exercise in a different way. And of course, her work still has a lot of development to happen to start before we all start going out there and exercising with our ALS patients again. But these are great authors and researchers to follow their work and look at some of the wonderful advances and applications that they're using by thinking outside of the box and thinking about how can we use what our colleagues know and pull that into the rehabilitation of these muscles.
0: Yeah, I, I love what you said about, you know, kind of comparing weight training versus yoga versus running, you know, mm. all three of those are completely different types of exercises that'll get you completely different results. So I think it's interesting to think about rehabbing the swallow in different ways. As well, there's not, you know, one way to skin a cat, as you said, we can't, you know, we don't always need to just be strengthening is the right, just as right important? and when you so,
1: think about all the different things that we eat all the different textures mixed textures what about all the different conditions in which we eat one of the things I like to do in my evaluations is I like to get patients to talk and eat at the same time if it's appropriate if we get that far right if i if I feel like this is a person who's going to eat a meal I like to make them laugh right. I like to make them talk right because that's reality that's that's what's What's going to happen? And I think by having our training mimic different conditions and different speed and patterns of swallowing as well, then we're adhering to one of the most important principles of exercise is that of specificity exercise principle of specificity tells us that we want to exercise and train a patient in a way that we want them to act in the end goal. So if we want them to swallow, they need to swallow. They don't need to be doing tongue wagging exercises, sticking their tongue out of their mouth and moving it side to side or saying, that doesn't mimic or play into swallowing gestures that we need for eating. Yeah, or speaking. <laughs> uh, yeah. so it's, it, again, it's, it's a specificity of pairing how we train in isolation and how that will apply to the task of functional task of eating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you said about, you know, have someone talk and eat at the same time. I think, you know, even when I do my fees kind of towards the end of the study, after I go through my protocol, I have them just feed themselves. I have them, you know, chug, 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 if that's how they normally drink, or, you know, take that gigantic bite of food, because that's how you normally eat in the dining room. You know, it's, I love that we've gotten ourselves, you know, systematized doing a protocol and, you know, 10 cc's, but then it's like, how realistic is that in the dining room when that's not even remotely how they eat then. So I think it's so important to have our protocols, but then also what's their, you know, normal environment.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think that have following a a strict normal protocol, like I'm a fan of the MBS IMP. And so that does require during the evaluation to, to adhere to a protocol. Um, And I think that that's fantastic. And we can diagnose that physiology. I, I do still choose to then move on and try a mixed texture or laughing while uh, eating. Talking while eating, um, because I do want to see reality for those folks. Yeah. The other thing I think that often gets overlooked is pill swallowing. Yeah, do you have any patients on your caseload for dysphagia who don't take oral pills? Probably not. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. Some, some will. Some they still put that through the
1: tube because they think yeah, that well, they can't. There you yeah. go. Right. Yeah. But yeah. if we're going to start an oral diet on a patient, yeah. why would we not then right. go ahead and do a pill trial? I. If you're in video fluoroscopy, uh, of course, you can't have them take their pills of video fluoroscopy. You won't see anything. But we do have options of using that 13 millimeter tablet that they use in radiology. The problem I have with that is that's not generally the shape and size and texture like a coating that would be on most medications these patients take. But there are many clinicians now who will use capsules that is empty capsules from pharmacy that they then fill with barium powder and then have patients swallow them. The other thing I like to do is ask my patients, all right, level with me. Do you take one pill at a time? Or are, you, are you a handful yeah. kind of, kind of guy, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, I'm a handful kind of girl. I just, you know, I, I just take all my vitamins in one fell swoop and they're big honkers. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to know if that patient will default to. And I think the problem there is that we just don't even address it. We don't even address it. We don't ask. So I think that that's something that we have to remember to do in our evaluations, whether it's fees or MBS. It's a little easier to do pill swallow and fees. You can ask patients to bring their pills into the assessment so you can see exactly what it is that they're taking at home. And I've had patients who will go through a full evaluation. And then at the end, when I do a pill trial, they'll aspirate the water they're taking to wash down the liquid. If I hadn't tried it, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. yeah. It's different than just chugging. Right. Liquid, thin liquid. So good to know. Yes. Because if you just stick your head in the sand, patients could then be in trouble. So again, it goes back to specificity. Yeah. In our evaluations and in our treatments. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I love that.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Where were we before we got on that tangent? I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about SCMG biofeedback and how the... It, it's great to see researchers using SEMG biofeedback to look at skill training and not just gross strength training. So it, it's a tool that's being used now differently. And I think with any of our tools, we have to remember they're just stupid tools. Yeah. <laughs> they're only as good as the user right. or as, as much as the effort as the, the patient wants to put into it. Yeah but tools can be used in different ways one of my favorite quotes is is from maslow that let's see if i can remember it exactly if if all you have is a hammer everything tends to be a, like a nail yep 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 and i think that we've done that in our field very much so strengthening 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 and and when i first started using SEMG biofeedback even i used i started that in as a graduate student actually and it was to, used to increase the amplitude of muscle activity in effortful swallows, or we used it just with Mendelssohn's to help patients increase and then maintain that muscle activity. But again, now we're seeing people use it in different ways to alter amplitude over time, just like we would alter the way we use these muscles throughout the duration of a meal. Yeah, But it it, it's still a wonderful tool to be used. It's not the be all in the end all. It's not the panacea as some tools have been referred to as, but it is a good tool that helps augment what it is that we do as clinicians. Yeah.
0: So let me, can I back you up a little bit, Lori? Um sure. Just playing devil's advocate here. If no one has ever even heard of SEMG biofeedback, can you kind of start from ground one with what it looks like, what exactly it does, how it would, you know, help us?
1: Sure, sure. So there are several different companies that offer this out there. There's ACP that has the synchrony unit. There's Prometheus Group that has wonderful portable unit, and they've just come out with a a larger interface with some video games. Those are the two companies I've used the most. However, you can use any biofeedback equipment available to you. I know that when Maggie Lee Huckabee was first talking about her experiences with SCMG. She just went to her PTs and OTs and asked what biofeedback equipment they have and can she use it? All it is, is a surface electrode patch that has active and ground contacts that just pick up the electrical activity of a muscle. It, it doesn't, you know, people say, oh, it measures contraction. No, it just measures activity. Now, I can do an activity with my muscle, but not swallow. I can tense up. So you also then have to, once you've got a patient hooked up to SEMG biofeedback, have to look at it and skillfully try to give feedback of, of whether or not they're doing the movement you're asking them to do properly. But this electrode just goes over the muscle of interest. So with occupational therapy, I often, often saw them using it on the forearm of patients and then having them do wrist extensions to wake that muscle up, so to speak. So for us most of the research has been done looking at submental placement or suprahyoid placement and that's to pick up the activity of the primary movers of the hyoid and larynx during swallow. And that's it there it needs to be some sort of gel between the skin and the surface electrode so that the electricity can, can be detected. And then you start having the patient do these movements and try to improve and refine the output based on your cueing and based on what it is that they're seeing. I will say this, though. Anissa Humbert and some colleagues, I think it was published under Azola in 2017, looking at the effectiveness of SEMG biofeedback and comparing that to feedback under video fluoroscopy. And because, like I said, this tool is dumb, okay? It just <laughs> picks up activity, all right? Like, for instance, my ears can be dumb sometimes. If I, if I tell my kids to go pick up their room and they go behind a closed door and I hear a lot of activity, it doesn't necessarily mean they're cleaning the room, right? right, right. It means that they're in there doing something active. And the same sort of noise so to speak, can be detected through biofeedback. In this article, I thought it was it was a really nice way to look at visual biofeedback with the biomechanics of looking right at your swallow. So what she did is she and Azola looked at the act of doing biofeedback alone, just using the screen of this output, looking at a bar graph or line graph, you know, showing muscle activity versus looking at video chloroscopy, looking at the hyoid movement and talking to and training that and having patients swallow while watching their hyoid and larynx approximate and a swallow to ensue. The video fluoroscopy condition was more effective. However, you can't use that in therapy. Right. 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 So I think that all of that, What I take away from that is that we need to be using going back to evaluations being task specific. I think we need to make sure that we don't forget to utilize whether you're doing video fluoroscopy or fees, the opportunity to see if patients can do their exercises or techniques that you're trying to get them to do, show them the screen, and allow them to use that biofeedback at that time. Is that as good as using? Video fluoroscopic biofeedback constantly? No, but it's the best we've got. And so don't forget to use that. Again, the evaluation is not a tool to say aspirate, not aspirate, or there's stuff left over. There's not stuff left over. It's to figure out why, what's the physiology, and what can I do to help that? So I think it's probably, hopefully, common practice for people to try strategies to improve swallowing. But also don't forget to practice the treatment because then when you take them into the session, they at least have some point of reference. How did that feel when I did that? Did it work when I pushed a little harder, swallowed a little harder, put my tongue to the roof of my mouth?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I I remember when I did it the first time, they hooked me up to it and I, I don't remember what I was supposed to be doing. Actually, I don't remember the task. But I wasn't doing it right, yeah, and so <laughs> Mendel <laughs> yeah What's yeah I, I I know I can't remember what it was, but anyways, they had to show me kind of what it should look like, and then I had to try it again, so it's so interesting for someone that quote unquote has a normal swallow to still not be able to do what we're telling our patients to do correctly, yes,
1: absolutely, and I think that's again one of the benefits of biofeedback, so I would have patients come in who would come in with a spouse and get the bickering spouse going, he's not working hard enough. You know, yeah, he's not, yeah. he's not doing his exercise as well. He's not trying. Yeah. So you know what I do? I hook them up. Yeah. <laughs> and I let them see. So it's nice for that. But also, like you said, I would hook myself up and, and this, there's a, there's an interface to do that on the Prometheus device where I would use that, where it would be a split screen and I would have myself on one screen and the patient on the other. And I'd say, and actually it was great to be able to use a lot less words too. I'd say, watch my line. Here I am relaxing. Here's a swallow. And it shows like a tall, skinny mountain of a, a line tracing. And I'll say, okay, now I'm going to swallow and hold my voice box up here. Feel my next, you know, that my, you know, my voice box is moving up. I use simple terms. Now try yours, touch your neck, see if you can do that. Okay. Um, now watch what my my tracing does. And then I would show them what it was supposed to look like on the SEMG biofeedback output screen. And then they just make a box, make a box, make it look like a box. And the less words, the better. Yeah. Um, especially for patients who have cognitive impairment or language issues. And I have used this with demented patients, traumatic brain injured patients, And you really do get them to hone in. There's something about externally focusing on that screen that that's something they can do. Yeah. So I would watch them feel, put food in their mouth, make sure that there was actual swallow happening and not just tensing up at the muscles. Cause that, that can happen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's so, I think it just helps to reinforce the importance of our therapy too you know, so I know so many patients have been like, "Is this even helping?" You know, I did a hundred swallows today. What is that even doing? You know, mm-hmm. whereas I think when you have the biofeedback, you know that you actually are doing the correct movement that is contributing to the outcome we're
1: looking for. Right. Absolutely. And I also, again, would, would send this, these equipment home with some patients. Um, Prometheus has a handheld device. I would send home with patients and another type of biofeedback is the IOP, Yeah, lingual strengthening. And I would set a certain goal and have them do that. And then with the light bar that goes up to a certain set goal that gives them biofeedback as well. So there are many different ways to give biofeedback, what I will say too, is even though we unfortunately can't be down in the fluoro suite for therapy <laughs> every day, you another tool I would use for biofeedback would be my endoscopy scope. Yeah. So that's something you can drop down in the hypopharynx and and show a patient, hey, look, you didn't create whiteout. Guess what? You didn't swallow. Yeah. And I literally would have those little interactions with patients quite often, patients who would swear they were swallowing would do a lot of extraneous movements and really straining and truly trying. Yeah. But just like that article, Azola Sunday, and Humpert, I don't want to leave any of the authors out, from 2017, without having that biofeedback of, of whether or not a swallow actually occurred, it's just hard for them to tell. So use that other tool as well. Again, yeah. we have a lot more tools in the toolbox that we can use that are at, at our disposal. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would quickly like to thank our
0: sponsor, EndoHD. They are a true high definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLBs by an SLP for conducting fee studies. EndoHD can be a cased portable system as well as a carded system depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees programs. At Altarvision, they combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make the best imaging devices in the country. So please check them out at www.ndohd.com/contact. That's www.ndohd.com/contact. So, so let me let me ask you again. Let me play devil's advocate again. What what would you say to the clinician that says, you know, I can't. I'm not allowed to get my hands on any of these tools. I'm just the speech pathologist. PTs and OTs get all these fancy tools. I can't get them. What would you say to help to encourage them, to support them, to show their, you know, bosses the research and, and things like that?
1: Well, I think definitely there's an article. Michael Crary in 2004 wrote an article that talked about functional benefits of using adjunctive SEMG biofeedback. Toward the end of this article, he talks just a, a small paragraph about the cost effectiveness and it talks about how we can keep patients in therapy longer and spend more therapy dollars and not have The kind of recovery that we can have in a shorter period of time and to a greater degree when using this tool of biofeedback. So, that's an article that actually I have sent to insurance companies and highlighted that paragraph at the end and gotten reimbursement.
0: That's excellent.
1: For treatment, because it's a tool that is been shown to be very effective. And again, first noted in the literature in 1976, for goodness sake, yeah. specifically for dysphagia swallowing therapy. So that's one article I would use as a resource. And I think that we just have, we, we're past the days of saying, well, they won't give it to us. We, right. we even have to photocopy our language tests because they won't buy them. You know, no, uh, I, I think that, we have a tool available to us that we know helps patients and helps them get better faster. Is it ethical not to use it? Is it ethical to not advocate for it? I don't know. You know, like we'll just throw that out there for people to mull on. But I think that we can't just sit back and and say, well, golly gee whiz, I I can't get this because they don't want to spend the money. Well, you need a tool to do your treatment. Right. And I mean, you know, it's been shown it's much more effective than the the knee to knee therapy where you sit there and go swallow, swallow harder. Gee, I don't know if that was harder. Do you think it was harder? Hmm. Let's try it again. All right. You know what? Baloney. I'd like to say something more, but you'll edit me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you can't do that. So, so it's, it's a matter of, of advocating. Do same reason that we have to advocate if there are still places out there that will make therapists do bedside swallow valves and then treat or make it's a recommendation. Yeah, it's That's not that standard of care. Right. I'm not going to put my patients at risk and my career at risk by not doing something standard of care. Yeah. It, it's just not fair to our patients. So I think, I think, You know, the days of just saying, well, they won't give it to me are gone. And I think we have to get stronger as a field too. It'd be, you know, everyone always says, well, Asha should, you know, back us up. Well, you know what? they're not sitting in your facility. You yeah. are.
0: And they kind of have too. I mean, they have documents that say that sure. this is the standard of care, you know? So when people say that I get pissed, cause I <laughs> looked hard enough cause they're kind they're there. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: You know, you know, a physical therapist is going to say, Oh, you won't buy us walkers. Okay. Well, I'll just go outside and get a few sticks and, you know, and tie them together with <laughs> Whittle myself one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, it's just, when you think about it like that, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know,
0: yeah, get out there and do it. Thank you for saying that. I, I, I'm in such an interesting place in my career right now because I have some people that are just yelling at me and sending me hate mail that I just keep beating a dead horse saying we need instrumentation to do our jobs and it's just not possible for places to get it. But then I have, you know, inside the membership site that I have the SLP Collective, we just have win after win after win after win of SLP saying, I advocated for this, and I got it. I told my administrator why I needed access to this, and he gave it to me. I told my DOR why I needed to get this, and we have it. You know, so it's half the time, I just want to be like, well, did you try? Like, <laughs> because yes. it, people are making these huge strides in our field, and people really are. I mean, we're making huge strides finally, which is wonderful, but it's it's sad that some just want to still be stuck. Arguing right. for their limitations. Well, you know, it's so. sort of
1: like an orthopedist going to a bedside and feeling a fracture in a leg and going, yeah, that's broken. Yeah. Well, is it complex? Is it simple? Does it require surgery? Does it not? Mm. And that I think is the equivalent of a speech pathologist palpating the larynx at bedside right. and going, well, that didn't go right. Well, right. You don't know. When someone right. coughs, maybe they're protecting their airway. Right. You know, right, right? it doesn't mean that there's something bad going on. And I think that, that that's true of treatment as well. So advocating for SEMG biofeedback or whatever it is that you need, you know, again, a, an orthopedist isn't going to go, Oh, we're out of casting material. Dang, that stinks. Well, you know, in the olden days, yeah, yeah, they used to use sticks and vines. Let's just do that. No, no. You say, no, I can't do my job without this with an appropriate evaluation nor with uh, you know, without an appropriate evaluation nor without appropriate treatment tools. Yeah. It just, it, it's, you can't, you just yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. You just... yeah. And thank I will you. say this, I have served as an expert witness in some trials and there have been, there has been a situation that I've been made aware of where a speech pathologist was working a weekend who had both, video fluoroscopy and endoscopy available to this person. It was a weekend, they didn't use it. But then when they came back on Monday, and uh, they had access to these tools, not just one, but two different types of instruments, they still chose not to, to use it. And there were some adverse things that came out of that. Yeah. And so when I was asked to give my opinion, I was not asked to say, was the speech therapist right or wrong? My one question to answer was, was this standard of care? With these tools available, was this standard of care? Only give us a yes or no answer. Guess what? Yeah. The answer was it's no. no. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And it didn't turn out so well Right for the therapist that didn't follow standard of care. So yeah, I mean, are there situations where a bedside is the only thing you got? Oh, sure. If that's truly the case, but I think most of the people still doing bedsides that are claiming it's the only thing they got, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And fight for it because it, it, you can make it happen. Yeah. And I think our, our, the people we're advocating to, to try to get the equipment, they don't know. A lot right. of them aren't speech pathologists. Right, right. Right. And you just have to show them, show them pictures, you know, ask them to feel your throat. And do you know what just happened? Okay. Here's a video of what just happened. You know? Yeah. So we just have to educate and, be stern and really fight for what's right. Yeah, I completely agree.
0: But yeah. I guess, how would you handle a situation? You know, where these SLPs say, "I don't have access to instrumentation," or or my my administrator keeps denying all my requests to get a modified done. You know what? What do you think? Because I think they it should still be documented. You know, you're recommending this, however, the facility is stating that they're yeah. denying. Yeah, oh, the, I think I think yeah. you
1: definitely have to, yeah. and I, I think that's sort of a case by case situation whether you. How how far do you, you know, take it? I'm not going to do treatment without the tools that I need? Yeah. Or do you just do the best you can and document along the way that you're, you're not providing optimal care, but you're doing the best you can given the constraints. And, and I think even if you talk to your managers and say, I'm going to have to document this, if this goes to court, I just want you to know, yeah, I have to document this because I need, I need it to be documented that I knew what was standard of care. And the only reason I proceeded otherwise is because my hands were being held and I wanted to help the patient in some way. And I guess guesswork is better than no work. I don't know. Maybe it's really not. Yeah. Think about the compound fracture patient. Right. You know, if there's a compound fracture and you're treating it as a simple fracture, you could do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. You could also argue, I can't move forward because I could be doing more harm than good. You know, there's that. So I, I think you just have to, it depends on the facility, the personalities at play, but I think those are, those are your options. Yeah.
0: I think yeah. just, you know, the longer I keep doing this, I just keep finding people are just giving these blanket, you know, recommendations <laughs> like, you know, decrease palpation, you know, decrease laryngeal palpation, therefore puree pudding thick liquids. That's you know, and it's like we go in and, and then I do the fees and they have so much residue that they're just aspirating these. Puddles and puddles of residue that they're not even clear. and
1: liquids were the worst thing. Probably would have been better if they were put on the right.
0: Right, and and that's you know I feel like where where we go half the time, and it's just like these are the things that our administrators need to see, that our nurses need to see, that this is not the safest way for every patient, and that's why we need
1: these tools to see these things. Absolutely. Well, the late Stephen Leader had a wonderful video example of this at ASHA a few years back where he showed someone doing a bedside while simultaneously having it was blinded to that therapist doing the quote unquote bedside. And he had simultaneous endoscope in and looking at what was going on. And given what the blinded clinician thought was going on and the recommendations that were made, that was compared with what we saw with the, the endoscopy. And it was drastically different, yeah, wow. drastically different. Yeah. So if there's a way I, I wish, I don't know if that, if that um, videotape is circulating in yeah, yeah. it was presented at a, a ASHA convention. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's out there somewhere, but, or if we could do that, if, if we could do that somehow in our own facilities and, and compare simultaneously what a clinician is saying we should do with what we're looking at. Yeah. I think that, something that we can throw, uh, you know, or present to them to try to help increase awareness. It's, I, I like to hope it's more just increased awareness and not just based on, we don't want to pay for it. Right. Right. I don't know. I think right. both, both scenarios exist. They do.
0: And and I just, I, I'm more hopeful. I feel like as, as I get older, because I feel like I keep seeing facilities that now are changing their ways and they are, you know, I feel like all it really took was some hard headed SLP to say, no, I'm not going to treat this way. I need this stuff for them to realize, oh, maybe we should change our ways. So,
1: right. Yeah. Right. For I sure. Just,
0: I get frustrated at the ones that don't even try. So,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, me too. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough situation. And I empathize with that when clinicians have to face that. Cause I faced it too. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was yeah. in the trenches clinician for the most of my career. I get it. But if we don't make them listen, they won't. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, thanks, Lori. This has
1: been great. Well, thank you. It was great chatting with you. And I hope that clinicians will either be empowered to continue using SEMG biofeedback or other tools of biofeedback that are available to them or to seek out some of these companies that make this equipment and really start adding more evidence-based practice into their treatment sessions. Yeah.
0: Especially since it's 43 years old. Yeah, well, there's that.
1: Yeah, And, and yeah. keep an eye toward these wonderful clinicians that are looking at skill-based training and looking at using exercise in these other patient populations that we've thought were not eligible before. The future is bright. Exercise science is definitely a part of that, and I'm glad to be able to have talked to you about that. Yes, so thank you of
0: so course. Much. Thank you so much, Lori. This is wonderful. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming.